Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there. Welcome to the show. Dan here along with Michael and Phil Hay for the end of the week edition of the show. We've got a new sponsor. Who is it? (laughs) I would strongly urge you to go to the video version of this if you want to see exactly who is sponsoring the show. I can't wait to find out. Uh, Michael is wearing a hoodie with the word Astonish. Oh, uh, yeah. On the... On the chest, yeah, you're right. you see, you appear to have a number of uh, astonished products on the desk. Just happened to have landed there in front of I've you. I've just done my shopping and I brought it in to the podcast. Yeah, in your astonished hoodie. In my astonished hoodie. This yeah. was actually um, not new. This was a gift from Nick at Astonish. This is yeah. not secondhand. I think it's match worn. Yeah. is what it is. This hoodie. So, but obviously, I'm going to. It's my most treasure possession these days. You genuinely will wear that to like out and about, won't you? Like yeah. wedding, weddings and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Maybe turn to a funeral and it like. Partridge, you know, in his Castle GTX. <laughs> I've got visions of your garage just being packed full of this stuff, like um, <laughs> stockpiling kitchen cleaner. I'd um, I'd back Normanton in a nuclear war. I think to have the reason, not not the kitchen cleaner is going to be much use to you we're not, in those circumstances. We're not here to talk about Normanton. However, we're here to talk about Astonish very quickly. Um, just to say, they manufacture ethical household and personal care cleaning products here in Yorkshire, born and bred in Leeds. They do. I've got the shower gel there. Yep. By chance. Can you just do a do a sniff test on that for us quickly? Oh, it's it's um good news as well. It's it's shower and shampoo. Right, useful for you. <laughs> Smells nice. Very nice. No harsh chemicals, no corrosives, and officially certified cruelty free and vegan. But don't eat it. No, hell no. Astonishes award winning value products include the UK's number one mold and mildew blaster. Oh, what have you got there? Boom! Look at that. <laughs> Can't believe you got that we, on you. We won't do this every week. No. <laughs> It won't be such a long time. I just want to welcome, welcome Astonish along and say thank no, you. Thank you. Thank you. Is, it, is this the first kind of sympathy sponsorship that, that a podcast has no, received? No, it's because it gets good numbers and that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Astonish- I'm, I'm definitely down with shower gel not having corrosives in it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Astonish.co.uk. Astonish. We'll have to work on a big three um, Astonish products, mm-hmm. won't we? See if we can get it in with the, um, the other stuff. Well, you got do. them. Kitchen cleaner, mold and mildew blaster. Two-in-one shampoo and chill, chill. Yeah, bingo. Isn't it glorious? Somebody, to... somebody will have a T-shirt for you by next week. Isn't it glorious to have Phil Hay doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Brought him into this. This is, this is the interesting bit. Yeah. <laughs> right then, so through a, a hasty costume change, I've had a haircut and the disappearance of Michael, we picked the show up. after a, It's a hasty Friday morning re-record, Phil, uh, after the signing of Joel Puro. We felt that Basically, the whole thing went in the bin yesterday because uh, Piro signed, it altered the tone of what we were doing, so we thought we might as well come back in and go afresh. 
the big conversation we had about do you have faith in the in the regime Ellen Road to deliver in the last um, the last week of the window? The answer, uh, thankfully, yes, it, was a it, resound- went, it was a resounding yes. It went into the bin. <laughs> well, I I said to you, um, I'd prefer to wait to answer that until the end of the window, and you very fairly said, "All right, Angus," sitting on on the fence. But the reason I said that was because I was making the point that this is the 49ers' first window as club's owners, which means that you don't, in terms of the faith that you have and the confidence that you have in them, you don't have any kind of prior transfer business to to judge them on. If we'd been talking about the previous regime and you'd asked me, do you have confidence in them to deliver in the last week of the window? The answer would have been probably not because the evidence of the past couple of years hasn't been great and, and hasn't really vindicated their ability to to pull off what they need to pull off this late in the day. But with the 49ers, there was still, as we spoke yesterday, a week to go. They were obviously in for Piro. The noises coming out of Ellen Road was that they would do business in the last week of, of the window, which meant that as much as people hate to hear this, I just found myself feeling I really do want to get to September the 2nd to see what's happened, to see what the bigger picture is and to get a proper feel for how they've handled what is, to be fair to them, a really difficult window and has been a really challenging window. But the tone of it is different after Piro signing. I think the perceptions of it will be different today after Piro signing. It is, without a doubt, the statement transfer of the summer for them so far. And it's, uh, I think, the right player to go after. Incredibly good deal at, at £10.5 million. You could argue a statement signing for the division, couldn't you really? Because I think he's one of the remaining, is he the remaining highest scorer that's available? Because uh, the lad from Borough's gone, hasn't he, over to uh, to Ajax Akpom. So, um... His goal scoring record is really good. Um, 19 last season, 22 the year before. So he is the, the kind of archetypal 20 goal striker. And what it what it means and, and what it kind of constitutes is Leeds nicking one of the best championship players from another club in the same division. And this conversation used to go on a lot back in the, the time when Kim Bates was chairman and, and subsequently, that one of the things Leeds never seemed able to do was to pick up the better or the top players in this league in order to enhance their own chances in it. There are plenty of clubs who would have loved to have taken Pirro. The competition in the end didn't seem particularly fierce, but it didn't do any harm that once Leeds got involved and and started bidding and and started actively talking to Swansea, that it moved really quickly um, and really swiftly. They'd obviously been smoked by Bournemouth with Max Ahrens. They've seen already this summer that they... You know, they, they courted Gustavo Hamer to the point where he was pretty interested in coming. But Sheffield United bid £50 million and, and that was that. And Cameron Archer at Villa, another player who they looked at and spoke about and discussed. But as soon as, again, Sheffield United moved to £80, £90 million, which is what David Ornstein was reporting earlier this week when it was um, it was agreed, that was leads out the water. No championship club was going to pay that. And, and that is the market and that's the way it is. And it seems to me that you know, the players they've looked at, the players they've gone after, those they've missed, those they've signed, I think you'd probably agree, look like the right players. You know, Pirro falls into that category 100%. But not always straightforward to get them over the line. Sometimes it, it just doesn't happen. But I think this late in the window, when your squad is deficient and when there are clear gaps and your, your manager is looking for fundamentally key signings that are going to make a big difference to the season, that's the point where you have to make it happen. You know, and, and unlike, say, for example, the Ketla last summer and Gakpo last summer, they've gone after Piro, they've got it done. It's a it's a good deal for them. I actually think it, it rises to sixty million potentially as well. I think it's a pretty good deal for Swansea given that he was down to his last twelve months. But ten and a half up front I think represents a really good fee for this level, doesn't it? Yeah. I think I think had we been 
trying to buy him and we were in the Premier League, you probably would have been looking at 15 or 16 million quoted, wouldn't you? Just because of the, the difference in finances at that level to this. Well, you don't need to waste time if you're a Premier League club on the odd million here or there. I mean, it's quite prudent to get players as cheap as you can. But if you go in for Piro and it would be 10.5 million in the Championship, but you're in the Premier League, so it's 15 million, you generally tend to have that amount of cash or, or that amount of flexibility financially in, in order to do it. In the Championship, it's different and you do need to get players at a price that works for you and, and a price that suits. And I, I think it's quite apparent that the you know the disparity between the leagues is is wider than ever. And you know that because we look now at Piro, 10.5 million rising to, to 16 million. And that, as we said, is is a statement signing in the Championship. That is a big deal for a, a for a club in this league. But in the Premier League, people would regard that as a bit of an add-on for your squad. It's a it's a bit of padding, the sort of signing where you'd say, "Well, yeah, no, that's that's nice to have." You know, that's that's kind of helpful. But it's not it's not getting people out of bed in the morning. It's not a Casado. It's not a Haaland. It's not not a deal like that. But it is the sort of deal that Premier League clubs can do. You know, without breaking sweat. The thing about Piro is that there's very little about his game that you you wouldn't like. Certainly in an attacking sense, I think defensively. And it seems sometimes a bit daft talking about defensive aspects of a of a forward, but it can be crucial. And you'll remember with Patrick Bamford, his off-the-ball work was pretty critical when it came to Bielsa's team knitting together. And if you go through the numbers and the stats, it, it does look as if Bamford is a, is a better player in that respect than Pirro. But Pirro scores more highly when it comes to outperforming out his XG. You know, absolutely smashed it in his first season at, um, at, at Swansea. It was cleared by almost 10 goals, which you know, is is really, really impressive. Some might say, well, that suggests the scope for a drop-off, but, you know, just at, at face value, that is, is really good. And what is also great about him, aside from the fact that he gets a lot of shots away, you know, high shot volume, is his work in, in the interplay, dropping deep, constructing attacks, is really, really strong. I just think he's probably tailor-made for a Farker system. And it's no bad thing that Swansea under Michael Duff seemed to be going more direct. And there was quite a lot of talk in Swansea about the fact that that might not suit Pirro. And I think that tells you that he probably will nicely suit the way that Farker tries to play. Well, with thanks to Johnny Cooper, who is at JRCooper26 on Twitter. Yeah, Johnny works for Opta. He sent some stats through about Pirro and that one you've just identified, which you've mentioned actually, it's in your article on Pirro on The Athletic. He has outperformed his XG. Uh, this is since his championship debut in August 2021, so two years ago. Has outperformed his XG by the biggest total of anybody in the division. So that's 41 goals from 30.5 xg so he's outperformed it yeah by 9.5 so as you were saying it's nearly nearly 10 which is a hell of an efficient return isn't it it is and as i say you know if you speak today to people they might say well that suggests that actually he's going beyond what he should be doing so perhaps it's going to regress a little bit more towards the mean but on the flip side it suggests that he's just a very good finisher someone who does take chances puts them away i mean he's he's a banger of a goal scorer actually you'll have seen the compilations on Twitter which I know paint everybody in the, the best light possible first thing I did was, was go to my favourite scouting tool YouTube yes 100% <laughs> um, it's, it, but I was watching through all his goals on um, Scout last night and it's it's proper no nonsense you know it's chance comes stick it away and he is very good at getting into the box getting on the end of chances but he does score from long range as well there's a bit of variety there he's just a good all round striker yep has the most uh, the joint most rather championship goals from outside the box um, with nine which is level with Lewis Baker. Yep. Yes, yes, yes you, you know, you'd always think, oh, data guys have been digging 
into, op- into, into Opta. Yes. Um, um, but- just a couple of other stats, Phil, actually, that Johnny sent through. He's the only player to score 10 or more goals with both his left foot, that's 26, and his right foot, 13 in the championship. So he's good on both sides. Has the most non-penalty goals in the championship at 38 as well, which is second to um, Alexandra Mitrovic for goals overall as well. 43 for Mitrovic, 41 for Pirro. So, uh, yeah, it, he's pretty bloody efficient, really. Well, it just makes sense, doesn't it? It's just uh, this sort of signing you should be going after, the sort of signing that seems pretty obvious and without wanting to labour the point, obvious signings have not been something that Leeds have dabbled in much over the last couple of years. And perhaps with hindsight, you would look back and say it wouldn't have been a bad for, thing for them to have done much more of that. But I think in, in this division in particular, it's not much of a mystery, is it, the, the sort of players that get you out of it, the sort of players that make you competitive. And somebody like him, that, I was saying on Twitter last night, there's chance in everything. Uh, you know, Obviously, some moves just don't work, even though they, they should. But there's no way in which you can look at this and say, well, that's slightly odd, or I don't know why they've done this. It makes perfect sense. It just needs to work. It's funny that there's a real duality with it. And um, you were talking before about the, the tone of the, the podcast that we recorded yesterday, which by... In, by no means was negative. It was just kind of a, another one of the what do they need to do and, and how they're going to approach it shows. And we, we were sort of saying about having faith in the, the, the people that leads to deliver. And I guess with, with this sign-in, you, can, you want them to go after certain targets like these, the cream of the championship style sign-ins. But then if they don't get them, you're then always left wondering. And, th- and this is based on the evidence of the likes of Gakpo and Dieng and people like that. Thinking, are they then by targeting those players, are they going after the wrong targets? And that's where the sort of breakdown in faith in the, the hierarchy at Leeds, I think, happened. I think that was obviously more directed towards Victor Orta's tenure. Excuse me, we just have a little fire alarm test. However, it is a new broom, but it's hard to forget all those things, isn't it? And I think we've said in recent weeks, it's understandable why the Leeds fan base has been twitchy. Well, that's the point I was making about the 49ers being in the first window, is that you need a kind of build-up of evidence, don't you, to decide whether an ownership group have the measure of this and know what they're doing or have the right ideas or are taking the right advice or the opposite, you know, don't really understand it, aren't on the money with the the players that they're they're chasing. I find it very difficult to argue with any of the signings that have been made so far. I think what hasn't helped with the, you know, the perception of this summer is what's been going, what's been going on in terms of outgoings. Um, Not helped as well by the issues around Nonto and Sinistera, which we'll come on to and, and, you know, to a degree have have been resolved. But I think the the tone of the the original podcast that we recorded, uh, which is now dead, is, I guess, quite indicative of the anxiety and the stress that the transfer window and transfers provoke in people, particularly when they don't happen. I, I think it's fair to say that everybody finds it very difficult to say and to, to genuinely tell themselves that it might be a good idea to take a kind of firm judgment on everything when the dust settles and when deals are deals are done. I understand why, and, and this at Leeds, certainly, because this goes back to long, you know, a decade ago when transfer windows had a habit of being pretty underwhelming. I remember you tweeting off the Square Ball account. This would have been, you can probably find it, I'm sure it'll still be there. This would have been maybe... 2012, 2013, maybe a little bit earlier. And it all it said was, and it was quite original at the time, this joke, transfer deadline day in Leeds, or as we call it around here, Thursday. And that's what it was like. You know, deadline day used to be a total non-event. You were constantly left with the feeling that they haven't done enough, that they're not really pushing this. They're not really going for gold. And that seems to have seeped into everybody's psyche that that is more likely than not the way a window's going to go. But Ampadu, 
is a good signing. Rodon is a good signing. I think Byram, if he stays fit, decent for the championship. Darlow, good goalkeeper. Pirro, absolutely bullseye in terms of what you should be going for. And as I say, it's not to say it's going to work, but you can't look at it now and really give an explanation for why it shouldn't. Yeah, you've given yourself the best chance. Yes. That's what it appears like. Which is all you can do. Yeah, from the outside. And I want to say as well, I think the um, the fees that we've been paying for these players look really sensible. I mean, I know it's, it's funny, isn't it? I'm sorry, I'm thinking we've just spent 10 and a half million quid on a centre forward in the second tier and that's sensible, um, which goes to show how football's kind of got away from itself. It's, but, uh, it, but even still, you know, that's the market, isn't it? It's sensible, but it's still fairly ambitious. You know, it's still a lot of money for a championship club. And I think when you consider that between, when you consider how much money has come in this summer from transfers, which is not a right lot, Tyler Adams aside, you know, there's 10 million for Piro, 10.5 million for Piro, there's 7 million for Ampadu, that's almost up to, to 20 million pounds. You've obviously got the additional cost of wages and everything else, although they, they have cut a massive amount off the wage bill. So can't pretend it's anything like it was in, in the Premier League. I would like to think that what happens over the next week will mean that we can park the kind of, aggressive window chat you know people will hopefully be able to and I think it, you know it would be good for Leeds if they could put themselves in this position where at the end of the window people are able to say do you know what you've gone after the right players you've just about signed enough because I always accepted that this summer it was going to be really difficult to do absolutely everything and, and get it all turned around but to go out the window with with everybody of the view or most people of the view that it's actually been handled as a whole just about as well as it could have been, which is not to say that there haven't been problems, which is not to say there haven't been periods where it's been really fraught and you did start to to wonder. But it's the bigger picture, isn't it? Absolutely. In terms of the targets, I did half-jokingly ask for some Grizzle Championship bastards uh, a few weeks back. And I think they've pretty much delivered mm-hmm. on the, that basis so far. We know they're still in for a few more as well, um, hoping to get some more done before um, before the deadline. So it could, it has the potential to be to be, to be all right, doesn't it? Now they've got the um, what you might describe as the mutineers under control. Yeah, I mean, let's come on to that shortly. But the interesting one is um, Nadim Amiri by a Leverkusen because that was broken by Fabrizio on Wednesday night, I think. And I spoke to somebody in Germany who said, I don't think I'd touch that because I think he's going to Marseille. So I'm sure he wants to go to Marseille and, and it looks like Marseille are, are going to do it. And then there was the report Thursday morning saying he'd said no to Leeds, he's going to go to Marseille instead. And I think that was accurate. I think the indication had been um, from him that, no, that was the, the move he saw himself taking. He's going to go to Ligue 1, he's going to go to France. But that is that has shifted in the past 24 hours. Leeds have agreed a fee with Leverkusen, which is around about £5 million, which seems like really, really good value for somebody like him, full Germany international with loads and loads of, of Bundesliga experience. And they were quietly hoping to get him on a plane, it's Friday morning as we speak, to get him on a plane at some point today to push this forward. I don't think it's one where they're 100% counting chickens. And actually, I think these days Leeds don't count chickens with any deals, especially no. seeing what you know what happened with Aaron's. But there was a bit of quiet confidence there about the fact that actually that one might just materialise. So we will see. We'll pro- as we speak, it's probably all going on. I'm telling you, once that family sees um, Betty's tea room in Harrogate, Signing on the line. That's you think, what it's all about. Yeah. You think is that all it takes? The local hot the spots, Betty's yeah. ultras. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Betty's ultras. What is it this are? The fat rascals, isn't that's it? That's right, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Who could say no? Get a fat rascal down your neck before you head off to train and you'll uh, you'll be signing on the dotted I be, line. I bet during the BLC era, there wasn't a single day where you could have got away with a fat rascal. No, absolutely not. 
it's funny, isn't it, that you look at Amiri and again, going back to the the highlights reel on uh, on YouTube, hell of a lot of flair there, very creative. Um, the general consensus Silky. seems to, yeah, seems to be a, a level above the championship. I but, think so. I mean, I, when I was told on Wednesday that he was looking like Marseille, I kind of thought, well, that figures. You know, he he looks like a really difficult player to go after if you're a, a championship club. But the evidence, I think, of the, the early games has been, amongst other things, that they need a finisher. They need a, a goal scorer, a, a proper kind of nine up front. But they do also need more creativity in behind in central area. They're not lacking it in wide positions and on the wings when Sinistera's there or Nonto or, or whoever else. But centrally, there is definitely room for a 10, for a you know an, an out-and-out attacking midfielder. Seems to fit the bill. It's funny, isn't it? Um, looking at Amiri and his profile and, and the price point and the fact that he's been capped by Germany, he actually would tick a box as one of Orta's broken toys, wouldn't he? In, in a previous <laughs> life. However... Not at this price. You feel like Victor would have paid three times the, the, the transfer fee or more. It's good value, I think. Um, kind of incredibly good value. And interesting that, you know, a striker that Swansea with a year left on his deal is 10 and a half rising to, to 16. There would be add-ons with the media as well. The 5 million would be a kind of basic, basic fee. But I think the thing about Amiri is it's not the YouTube clips that make him sound really good. If you speak to journalists who've watched him in Germany they say he's a very talented player he yeah. is um, and so you know the team starts to and it depends on that one happening but um, you know you put him in behind Piro different team yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Completely, well I, I agree with your assessment of it yeah we need a number 9 we need a number 10 probably fine for, for wide players midfield needs a bolster as well so yeah. if, if we're looking at what's let's say 3 or 4 more central midfield you do one there, maybe. Um, if you they, count- do, they do want cover at fullback as well. I mean, they were obviously trying to do Aaron's. I don't think you'd have put him down as cover. Uh, I think he'd he'd have played a lot under mm-hmm. Farker. Jed Spence, because uh, the kids down kids has, coming up has been linked, but like masses and masses of interest in him. The, a, a lot of the links at the moment are definitely kosher, like um, Glenn Kamara up at Rangers. Somebody they've watched all the way through the summer. I saw the links to Lewis O'Brien. I, I was digging into that one a little bit, and I was being told that. He's on quite a big wage at Forest, and it's not necessarily clear. I think he'll go from Forest; doesn't seem to be involved, but it's not necessarily clear whether Forest would expect full salary recovery for him if he went out on loan, which doesn't make it easy. But then, these are the things that tend to bend as time goes on. I was I was just going to say, Phil. Actually, sorry to interrupt you. I was yeah. just going to say, and this this now, when you start to break it down, explains why things haven't moved perhaps as quickly as we as fans might want because you have to take in these real-world factors when you're weighing up moves for players. Like, okay, if we want Lewis O'Brien, who seems like a really realistic target for this level, we know he can do it at this level. He's a good, solid midfielder. But the thing you have to factor in is is that that wage. Who's going to pick up the tab there? If we're not in a position to pick it all up, then you have to wait, don't you, until Forrest <laughs> go, right, well, look, we, it's now getting late in the window. We need to do something. That's it. Rodon, just to, to use him for instance, when Leeds first got in touch about Rodon, they were told it would have to be permanent, you know, and this is what we value him at. Spurs kind of valued him at around about £15 million. Leeds' attitude was, we can't really do him at that price. You know, there might be other players that, we, and that's not to say they didn't rate him. It's just, you've got to cut your cloth and you've got to, you've got to work out where, you, where your bigger money is going to go. So Leeds kind of said, okay, well, you know, we won't be able to do that. And then that developed pretty quickly into conversation where Spurs said, okay, well, actually we would be willing to let him go on loan for the season. And then it got done. So, I mean, that's been the transfer market forever, though. It's it's no different 
in that sense. Um, it's, it, I think the bigger thing now is just, I was, I was chatting to somebody about this yesterday. Transfers, and certainly in, in my industry, transfer reporting has become like a job in an industry in its own right. You know, it's just totally massive alone away from kind of general football writing and, and everything else on a scale that, that certainly I've never seen before. And I don't think anybody else has either. And that's, I think more and more you get to see behind the curtain of what actually happens with these deals, how fast or how slow they move, what's involved in getting it over the line when it's not necessarily straightforward. You know, uh, complicated um, negotiations, complicated processes. Human beings involved. Is that, yeah, is a, is, emotion yeah. and, you know, egos, loads of egos in football, you know, loads of, loads of scenarios where clubs don't want to be seen to come out second best don't want to be seen to get mugged with the fee that they pay or the fee that, that they receive. Situations like Nontos, for example, where a player might want to leave, club might be bidding, club who uh, who he's signed to don't want him to go and it becomes really messy. None of this is particularly straightforward. You do have deals that just proceed nice and, nice and easy. You know, club that are happy to sell, club that are happy to pay, player who wants to go, not really much competition and, and it all it all goes on. But once you boil down to the pool of players that a lot of clubs want or enough clubs want, so Hamer, Archer, um, even Pirro, that's when it becomes really intense and that's when you, you can get ambushed in the way that Leeds did with Aaron's. Yeah, and there's, there's other things like, for example, the bad blood between Swansea and Southampton over the recruitment of the manager there this summer might make them genuinely, just on a human level, reluctant to deal with Southampton. I think, I, Swansea's case. I think Swansea would have been reluctant to deal with Southampton but I money, always, talk, money talks. Money does talk, yeah. and I always go back to the you know the the face off between Leeds and Leipzig over John Kevin Augustine, which was a massive mess and very bitter. But when it came to signing Tyler Adams, no problem because the fees, the fee, you're paying the money. By all means, have him. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Um, we've seen the name 
Pantsil, the guy at Genk, who is sort of a wingery forwardy type, yeah. who who you would imagine, given the the current state of the Leeds squad, we wouldn't be in for that position. So you wonder is is that maybe mitigation against the departure? Because although although Sinistera, as as Farka said yesterday, has been folded back into the group, do you think there's a chance he maybe goes if somebody activates his his clause? Well, Farka's been at pains to stress, and, and we we should talk a bit about Farka actually because I think. As much as we're all banging on about transfers, he he is the key thing this summer, I think. I think he's managed the summer incredibly well. He's done it without, I've said a few times, without being defeatist. He's been kind of brutally honest about what's going on, but never defeatist with it. But also, he hasn't let the stress get to him, I don't think. you can Managers never like to look stressed and they never like to make it look like they're not in control. But quite often you can tell if they're bluffing a little bit or if it's all getting a bit too much. And I haven't sensed that with him to this point how he would have been at the end of this week say if they hadn't got Piro if it hadn't gone well in the market perhaps that that would have been you know it would have pushed him a little bit further but a lot of people said yesterday that he's handled the Nonto situation really well which I think he definitely has not only in the decisions that have been taken with Nonto but also in the way that he's spoken about him it was good cop bad cop from him at the press conference yesterday because he was saying on the one hand look it's 19 year old footballer who's had his head turned Maybe some of the advice hasn't been great. He's an international, he's got prospects. He does kind of have to look after himself or at least he's going to think about himself to a degree. I I totally understand that. But on the other hand, you just can't do that and I'm not going to tolerate it. And this is a second chance for him. I thought it was really quite noticeable Farka saying there won't be a third chance for him. You know, this this is it now. Like He either comes back and does what he has to do or there are going to be be bigger consequences. And I also, also thought it was significant that rather than Nonto just saying to him, look, can we just sort this out and I'll come back and train and, and play, Nonto had gone and apologised and basically said, I've, I've made a mistake, which is a win for Farker, I think. You know, he's taken this on. As he said, clubs can sometimes be scared in this situation of he's a big asset, we don't want to we don't lose money on him, we don't want to upset him to the point where we can't reel him back in. But he's clearly a bit of a hardliner, Farker. Kind of the, the Bielses, I think, of if you're not committed, then get out of my dressing room and train at eight in the morning when we come in at midday. And, yeah. and I think after a while, that gets to players who are ostracised and excluded because it's no fun. Well, so they miss the dressing room, they miss they, their they mates. Do, and, they? and they miss playing, you know, because yeah, yeah. that's, that's what they do. He has tried to make the point, though, that he doesn't see the Sinistera situation as the same as the Nonto situation. Nonto has no release clause and has obviously tried to, to get himself out via... Firstly, refusing to play at Birmingham and then the, the transfer request against West Brom. I think Farker accepts that with Sinistera, there were questions being asked about his contract, the legalities of it, the contractual nature of it that needed to be resolved. He felt that it was distracting Sinistera, but I don't think he blamed Sinistera for that. I think he, he kind of accepted that, look, I understand that this is a problem, but it needs to be sorted out before I can properly involve you because I don't feel like you're 100% switched on. So there's been no kind of real friction between Farka and Sinistera on, on that level. But obviously Nonto brought back into the fold at the start of this week. Um, Keneal was pretty actively involved in, in the talks about that as well. The same with Sinistera. And, you know, it it gives the squad again different complexion going to, to Ipswich, having those two both involved potentially. And I also think, and I, that you know, this is pretty important. I think Pirro signing last night and the shift in mood, you know, the talk about Amiri, everything else, is going to make it easier for Nonto on Saturday because people will be in a better frame of mind and there will be 
I don't know, there might be some people who boom, maybe some people who, who are still frustrated with him. But I think people will be minded to think that actually being supportive of this and trying to make the best of it is probably in the best interests of everybody. Yeah, we might get a grown-up response. I think there'll, there'll be a bit of booing because, well, football is pantomime, isn't it? And you need people to understand and know from a, a supporter's perspective they've done wrong. Yeah. But I, I, I do agree because some time ago I wrote down on a piece, piece of paper in front of me, Piro has reset the whole narrative. And I think that's what that's what that move has done. It's just, it's allowed things to progress, things to move on, fans to think differently about going to Ipswich this weekend and the season ahead. It releases a bit of frustration. And the thing about the build-up of frustration is that sometimes it gets targeted at people or things, even if people don't feel that strongly about it. So everybody will be unhappy about what went on with Nonto, and I, and I totally get that. But if you're in a better frame of mind... You're far less inclined to to dig him out, aren't you? Whereas if you're going to Ipswich on Saturday and you haven't signed anybody and it oh you know, the pressure's on, it doesn't feel like the club are in a good place. You you go a goal down, that's when it starts, and that's when it generates, that's when people look for an outlet, and he is going to be the the obvious obvious one to go after. But I always remember with um, Max Grado at Leeds, somebody was talking about this on, on Twitter earlier this week, him getting sent off against Bristol Rovers. And he, I went to interview him the following season because he won the, the YP's Player of the Year award. Um, and Players could be really pleased with that award. It could be a bit indifferent. Some really weren't, weren't bothered. We always asked for an interview with whoever won it. Some of them would be great. Some of them would be you know, not, not so good. But And that's, that's just football generally. Grado was desperate to speak because he was saying, I've spent the year trying to redeem myself, which he did, by scoring a lot of goals and playing incredibly well under Grayson. But also he wanted to explain what you know how he felt and what had gone on with the Bristol Rovers game. And he said, you know, when I came off the pitch, went into the dressing room, I was really angry about the red card. I didn't think I should have been sent off. And he said that, like, when I look back now, I still think it probably wasn't a red card, but it was really stupid. It was really stupid. And he said, as time went on and I calmed down a little bit, I, I started to shake and to feel a bit sick because I was sitting there thinking, what have I done? No, he said, quite honestly, if Leeds had, had lost to Bristol or hadn't beaten Bristol Rovers, had finished third, gone into the playoffs and, and got beaten, not got promoted, he felt like he'd have had to have left. Mm. You know, he'd have felt there would have been no way of really redeeming himself because of the consequences of, of what had, had happened. And I think Nonto will be in that mindset as well, where he knows he's got to play well now. And he knows that if he does play well, people's attitudes towards him will soften really, really quickly. Because people do like him. That's the thing. He's always been popular it's just the friction of the last two weeks has changed his image has changed the way that that everybody's looking at him but I don't doubt as well that with the window nearing the close and no bids on the table that Leeds are in any way minded to accept he started to realise that while there might be an advantage of agitating like this in the window because somebody might sign you there's zero value to you of doing it outside of the window because nobody can and and if you want to make the Euros next summer you ain't going to do it by not playing no, no, no. I think um, from a fan's perspective, I think we're probably all experienced enough now and we understand how mercenary football has become in recent years. Um, and, you know, we all look back on years gone by, like the 80s and 90s, the pre-Bosman days when clubs had lots of power over players and that shifted to an extent where it's it's hugely in favour of players and agents now, isn't it? Ultimately, is it fair to say that fans just want players to do the job that they're contracted to do more than anything else I think when it comes to Nonto there will be people who are not going to forgive him for mutineering in the way that he did but as long as he does his job and does it to a reasonable level people will be accepting of him even if they don't like him as much as they used to 
I think that's fair. Yeah, most people. Yeah. Um, see, for as long as I've followed football, and I think this is a very English-European thing. Well, no, that that's not fair, actually. It's the same in a lot of parts parts of the world, but maybe it's a kind of generational thing. I don't know. There's always been this inherent thing about loyalty to football clubs, predominantly with supporters. But there's that expectation, isn't there, of if a player or a coach or whoever else is at your club, then there's a certain degree of loyalty to the club in the way they act, the way they play, the way they, they perform, the, the commitment that that they show and, and maintain. Which we're seeing from Farker, by the way, and his words are reflecting that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But equally, say next week Farker got an offer from the Premier League and said, oh, listen, I want to go. You know, it's the same kind of frustration, isn't it, that... that and I, I'm not suggesting that will happen at all. <laughs> the fact you um, had to say but, that. <laughs> but, but, well, remember Steve Bruce at um, Sheffield Wednesday, Newcastle job came up, cheerio, I'm, I'm off. And Bruce could rationalise that by saying, it's a bigger job, it's the club I club I supported from Newcastle, whatever else. But people's attitude is, yeah, but you, you've bailed out at a moment's notice because something better has come along. And, and players and managers and so on do, I think, it's fair to say, like people to care about them. None of these people develop profile or wealth or image or whatever else because nobody paid any attention to them. And I think because of that, there has to be a bit of quid pro quo. It has to be a bit reciprocal. I mean, you, you'll have seen the, the um, message that <coughs> Raphael Var, um, Varane put out about the number of games that are being played at the moment, the intensity of, of football. And there is far too much, too many competitions, too many fixtures and, and everything else. But if players more and more give you the impression that being at a club is neither here nor there to them. You know, they're fine for as long as they're there, but when they want to leave, they'll, they'll just go. Why should anybody care about them? Or care, you know, Why should we care about how intense Varane's schedule is? Why? It's not our job. It's not our problem. You know, mm. we're, we're just there to, to watch it. That's a, that's a really kind of facetious argument. And, and I don't actually think that at all. But I think with players and managers, you, you do run the risk that if that connection doesn't hold to some extent, where does it kind of leave us all? Because that's always been the kind of basis of, of football, certainly in, in England and Scotland, where I've followed it. Just returning to Farker, I think what he did really, really skillfully yesterday was to both simultaneously throw Nonto under the bus, but yes. then pull him back out from under it as yes, well at the same, absolutely. At the same he time. He did what your dad should do to you when, as Farker said at 19, everybody's been in the odd scrape. Yeah. Did, well, did you spend time yesterday thinking about what you did at 19 that you shouldn't have done? Yeah, we had a chat about it this week on one of our other shows as well, and I think we we opted to not <laughs> put any big major confessions on a on a recording that lives forever on the internet. But yeah, no, I, I I was an idiot still at thirty. Never mind nineteen. So not an idiot. You know, you you make decisions that you look back on as you get older, and you go, yeah, I was I was a bit silly when I did. Yeah, that. I almost feel like I've grown out of that forty three, but not not quite. That, well, yeah, saying, I yeah. thought I might plead the Fifth Amendment too if um if you asked about being nineteen. But yeah, you're right. What it amounts to is a really good show of authority from Farker. And he's done it in a way where he's been gentle with Nonto, but he's been firm with him. It's, it's, it's like the, kids, isn't it? It's boundaries, Phil. It's like the, he's, he's set his boundaries and he's absolutely stuck to them consistently and, and made it clear that you will not win in this situation. And and the penny's dropped Nonto. Yeah, the, the underlying message is who's in charge. Yeah. That's, what he was, that's what he's been saying, Farker. And he, he's got a very nice approach about him. He sounds... Um, you know, the, the tone of the way he speaks and everything else, he's a very amenable guy, Farker, but he's quite clever, really. You know, he's he's sitting there basically saying, I run the show here. And he absolutely does. And this goes back to him saying at the outset, I want to be manager, not head coach. When we were first told that, there was part of you 
went... Is it semantics? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, same thing, isn't it? But actually, I think FARC is, FARC is proven that it's, that to some extent it's not because, you know, it was his decision to move Sinister out of the dressing room. It was his decision to do the same with Nonto. He's having the final say on all the transfers who are coming in. The club could never have reintegrated Nonto or Sinistera this week without Farker saying, yeah, absolutely. If Farker said, no, I'm not having it, that would have been the, the end of it. And I think that level of authority is definitely needed. I think it's probably needed more than ever when you're off the back of relegation and you're going through a summer like this where everything is a bit, um, you know, a bit tense and, and to a degree a bit out of everybody's control. And I start to think more and more, if the players who've gone don't want to be here, then actually it's definitely for the best that they've left. Does that, do you think, point to maybe what one of the problems was last season? A breakdown of dressing room hierarchy, maybe, and I don't know, I'm just speculating with Marsh, I've absolutely no idea what he was like as a leader, but there was always a sense with Jesse Marsh that he wanted to be friends with the players, you know, and put an arm around them, maybe perhaps rather than an authority figure, which when you contrast it with Bielsa, because when Bielsa went, you got the impression that the players, when Marsh came in, loved the uh, increased levels of freedom and autonomy. And then perhaps it went too much the other way. But did that result in maybe a breakdown of of respect within the dressing room? You know, senior players saying to the younger ones, no, you've got to do X and Y. And the younger ones, you know, not responding very well to them because maybe they were seen to be the ones that were making the mistakes that were costing the team games, things like that, you know? I, I didn't feel like it was a wildly tight dressing room last year, but I, I don't know whether we're... I don't know whether we're digging down a little bit. Are we, are we retro, retrofitting it a bit? I, I don't know if we're digging down to something that, that wasn't there to the extent of being a problem because even if the dressing room wasn't as tight as it should have been, the fact is the squad wasn't good enough, the performances weren't good enough, the tactics didn't work. It felt like the, the major failing was was a footballing failure, yeah. I, I would have yeah, said. Yeah. And you do tend to find that footballing failure, poor results and everything else doesn't generally generate the best of atmospheres in, yeah. in a dressing room. As I say, it, it, there are clearly two players left who sort of saw themselves elsewhere, Sinister and, and Nonto, and it's absolutely pointless pretending otherwise. But they are still very, very talented footballers, really good wingers, players who will make a difference in this division. So it's absolutely the right thing to try and get them back involved, however it, it all ends up and however this, this all plays out. And I think particularly because of the stance they're taking with Nonto, of you won't be sold, you're not going unless, you know, somebody goes to the level that we'd think, yeah, actually, let's take the cash. Who really does it serve him kicking about at eight in the morning, running on his own? No. It sends a message to the whole dressing room, I guess, is what yeah. I was getting at. Yeah, no, no you're that, right. Look, yeah. You know, if you if you behave in this way, it won't be tolerated. You'll, you'll mm. be moved you'll be moved out of the group. And he actually went into a little bit of detail, didn't he, did Fark yesterday saying that you don't while well, you don't want to put a young player in the twenty ones or ostracize him for a year. If you have to, to make a point, then you do. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what he was talking about. You know, clubs being scared of what if this player loses value. But he he very clearly gave the impression that everybody was on the same page with him. And I think the reason for that is because the, the club will understand the consequences of saying to Farker, no, sorry, you know, you might want this, but we're going to do it differently. He's just not going to operate like that. But the, what Sinistera and Nonto, his handling of them proves is that he's not bluffing and you can't call his bluff on this. You know, if, if you go down the same path, then, then you'll get treated in the same way. And that shouldn't be a surprise because you saw what happened with Campbell and Buendia at Norwich. Not only them being pushed out of the picture for a while, but also his willingness to bring them back in when the time was right. And they were both big players in that season. Yeah, fall into line and yeah. you're part of it. 
step out of line. You're yeah. not going to be. It's, it's like a good teacher, isn't sometimes it? Sometimes football needs that as well. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Um, somebody just hold it together. It's felt like he has been the the glue that's held it all together this summer, Farker. And I think the the signs that we're seeing with the football also help in that regard as well. That yeah. it, it looks all right to the eye, and you yeah. can see what he's trying to achieve. And that sort of uh, front foot football, possession based football, it's it's appealing, isn't it? To, it looks to fans. it looks all right, minus anything like the depth of resources that you would want to give a manager who ideally wins the title or finishes second or at least gets gets into the playoffs. But they're now seeming to follow, aren't they? The, the players now seem to yes. follow. And I think maybe what they've done by getting Pirro, who, as we said at the start of this this segment, was a statement signing, is they've taken a lot of the heat out of the situation, I think. But also good players attract good players. Good players, are, I asked Farker this yesterday, you know, how important is it for the players in the dressing room to actually start to see some movement? Because... It's not great for morale and confidence if, even if it's not being said out loud or even if you're not discussing this amongst yourselves, you all feel internally like you're not there and you don't have a good enough chance because you don't have the players around you that, that you want. So it helps who's already here to see somebody like Piro come through the door. But I do think good players attract good players. So I think the more good players you sign, the easier it becomes to add others. Um, that's still a financial consideration. But when it comes to talking them around and persuading them, it is much more simple to say, look at what's already here, you know. And I, I think, considering the players who've joined, I think Fark has done a pretty good job of selling this as a project and, and something you, you want to get involved in because there's been a lot about this summer that would have made people wonder. But clearly, when he's able to sit down with people and, and to speak to them, and I, I appreciate that Aaron's backed out and, and went to Bournemouth, but most of the deals, he's obviously been able to persuade them that this is the place to come because like somebody like Piro... If Piro was thinking to himself, I don't really see it happening here. I just don't see why he would have signed. Yeah. Um, and he's somebody who can potentially grow with the club. And that's what I like about the signings that we're seeming to be aiming at. You know, talking earlier about maybe your, your, your fear as a fan is they're identifying the wrong targets or targets who are not prepared to come to the club. But actually, when you start to look at them in terms of like Ampadu, his age and where he is in the game, same with Piro, players who want to be on an up curve and... Um, not just using us as a stepping stone, but they can grow alongside the club. It, they seem to be a better fit maybe than some of the recruitment that happened under the previous regime, under Arta, who was selling us as a, step, a stepping stone to the top end of the Premier League, which if we're being realistic, yeah, you probably have to do that for a bit. You've got a trade, haven't you? Wheel and deal, buy and sell. But, but it, it just maybe, it feels differently. Maybe in the mix of that, you need some bankers as well, though, you know, just like steady players that you you know you can rely on and know are going to do a do a good job for you. Yeah, I, I like as well the fact that with Ampadu, you know, he was starting to wind down at Chelsea contractually. So there was an opportunity there to, to get it done at, at a good price. Same with Pirro, you know, situation you can exploit. Because there was absolutely no way Swansea were going to cling on to him until the end of the season and, and let him go for free. They'd offered him a new contract. Pirro, from what we understand, had gone back to them and said, this is what I would expect to earn. This is what I want to earn over the, the two years. Swansea had said there's simply no way we can countenance that. It's not going to happen. Um, so at that point, it, it was highly likely that he was going to go. And actually, Duff was quoted before it all happened on Thursday as saying either he signs a new deal or we sell him. You know, the, the idea that he stays here and becomes a free agent next summer is just not happening. Ipswich. Yes. Long old journey down to Ipswich. Not as bad as Norwich. Yeah. No, is it not? No, bit no, mo- it's easier, bit more easier drive. Yes, yeah. right, but it's still a good, you know, three or four hours, isn't it? A couple yeah. of couple of hundred miles. The journey down and the journey back 
feels like it might be a bit different now they've um, they've moved on Pirro. It's, it's just funny what that signing can do, isn't it? Nah, you sent me a message last night though from somebody else saying just wait till Ipswich bang one in after eight minutes and <laughs> <laughs> we'll all be we'll all be kicking off again. Um, yeah, it, it's. I mean, let's not dress this up. It's a hard game. They they have been in form for toughest, a long toughest so far time. this season. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yeah. They they've been in form for a long time. Farka went as far yesterday to say they're the kind of team at the moment just now, and it's a little weird saying that so early in the season. But he's probably right. I mean, they have a good coach. There were some good coaches in League One last season. Schumacher as well down at Plymouth. But you know, two and and certainly McKenna at Ipswich. I think somebody who is going to end up in the Premier League, whether it's with Ipswich or with somebody else but they are they are your know, classic classic version of a team who have come up have been winning in, in the frame of mind that they win games and have been like that for ages and it's just continued I think they are a pretty strong shout for the playoffs right it's right it's riding the crest of a wave isn't it is it, yeah, it is yeah. and it, it you see it happen quite a lot um, it can be done it has been done by them they've got a pretty decent squad down there as I say they've got a got a good manager good coach as well a nice bit of niggle needle for Farker, I would have thought. Can't imagine he dines out much in Ipswich. Yeah, um, you forget about the Norwich Ipswich thing, the old uh, the old farm derby. Yeah, we didn't. If it had been a really boring press conference yesterday, we'd have got into that. But because there was, have you asked him about football at all? Yeah, <laughs> this is what it's like. Somebody was making the point that after the West Brom press conference, and listen back, the only reason that there was any mention of West Brom was because Farker sort of shoehorned in a mention of them at one point in between Nonto and, and Sinistera and I, I don't know about you I think everybody's probably pretty keen to get out of this window you yeah. know, and into a spell where you can kind of revert to operating like football clubs should yeah. um, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit tired of it to be honest I found it really quite draining and you, and you it was a you know no one's going to feel any sympathy for a football journalist given that you get to watch the game for free and all that but you did say to me it's like Bloody hell! These are turning into eighteen-hour days every every day. You get up in the morning, start writing. Your story's out the out the window by the afternoon, and that's you have to write new stuff it, later ten, than ten, night. Ten o'clock at night, but it's better that than having nothing to write about. And that's one of the things that Leeds have never been a problem with, giving you stuff to stuff to cover. If it had been a dull press conference, if transfer business had been in line and everything sorted, we probably would have got into you know conversation about what's it going to be like for you there, and he'd done the thing that managers always do, which is say, well, probably not going to be. The best of best of receptions, but no, we we didn't touch on that. But I'm sure they they haven't forgotten. I feel there will hopefully come a point of the season very soon where we're not talking like this. But I think as things are at the moment, certainly feel more optimistic with Nonto and Sinistera back in the in the building for Piro, um registration and everything. We'd have had to have gone through by midday today, so we'll see what what happens with him. I think any result from this draw or win is a good result. Yeah. Um, at Ipswich as I say hopefully we'll get to point of the shock, season shock revelation Phil Hayes yes. a win would be a good result yes um, hopefully we'll get to a stage of the season where we're looking at games and saying should win this and yeah. anything less than that would be disappointing but at the moment I think you can feel like Farker trying to build in incremental steps can't you and yeah. I think he would see any sort of result at Ipswich as a as a good return. Yeah, and then you look ahead to Sheffield Wednesday the week after, who have not been in great form at the start of the season, to and, say the least. Yeah, yes. and if you but if you add another couple of warm bodies um, to the squad over the next, why are you looking at me like that, Phil? I don't um, think there've been any warm bodies no, so no, far. At all. No, <laughs> no, no, no. You no. have to add a couple of warm bodies, bodies to bodies to the squad, and going into that Sheffield Wednesday game, it gives you a completely different sense of confidence, doesn't it? There's it takes away the anxiety, and obviously Sheffield Wednesday is. Is that around or after the deadline's gone? I've lost track of my weeks It's the now. day after the deadline. So it's the day after the deadline. Yes. So finally, you've got that certainty about who's going where or yeah. not. 
and then you go into that game with that um, with that sense of right. Well, this is what the squad's going to look like now until January, so we can just get on with being a football club. If they were to go to Ipswich and win after what's gone on this week, you would feel a little bit like the reset button had been pushed, yeah. as as in it was a bit of a line in the sand to say, all right, okay, it's been hard to this point. It's been really, really difficult right the way through the summer. I'm not sure it's necessarily been anything we shouldn't have expected, if that makes sense. Given that there was no takeover in place when last season finished and last season finished on May the 28th, and given that it wasn't going to be Allardyce once they went down, it might well not have been Allardyce had they stayed up, but it wasn't going to be Allardyce. They needed a, a head coach. The, the squad was going to have to change so much. Perhaps we should all kind of seen this this coming, but as time goes on, you, you, the way you view things changes. So there was a bit of griping about how long it took to make a decision on the head coach, but the manager, but they were methodical about it. They did take the time. And given that it is Farker and given that we all seem pretty happy with Farker and we like the cut of his jib and we like what he's doing, starts to look like actually quite a sensible idea to take your time and to be sure about what you want. Maybe there's something to be said for that. Three points at Ipswich, Phil. Go on. Don't know. <laughs> Don't know. Don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that. I think you'd, you'd be... You'd be wrong to underestimate them in any way. They they, are, they seem to be flying at the moment. Yeah, I would also say that uh, why not yeah. is another thing. Um, yeah, Give it a whirl. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck yeah. it in there. Mix <laughs> it up a bit, see yeah. what comes out. So why not? I won't predict three points, but I, I would say why not is my approach to this game of the weekend. Would not surprise me at all if Leeds get something down there. I really wouldn't. I think, um, I think it'll be very closely fought game. I think it'll be a very good game, actually. No show on Monday because I'm away at a wedding in Ireland. Michael is also away as well um, yes. at a christening down towards London. So we will get back together. Uh, we'll work out how, how to approach this because we're, we're going to end up getting back together just before the deadline. So yeah. we'll, we'll figure out a plan, I think. Yeah, we'll try and work out what would be the best day. I suspect the answer to that is no day is the best day. <laughs> but there never um, is, given we'll, that this yeah, week we've we'll, had to re-record. We'll go for gold at some point and it'll yeah. all fall into place. Right, oh, um, we'll see you on the other side of this then. See you soon. The Square Ball Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.